Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. Oh, all of them, all of them, all of them. We have incredible pastors here. All right, well, let's get into what we're doing today. We are celebrating. We'll do much partying after service today, but uh, there's a lot of fun, and I'll tell you more about that after at the end of service. But let's get into what we're doing today. We've been in this series called Doubting God, which uh, I, has been such a gift to me to explore and study the concept of doubt and the reasons why we doubt. And I've been, been, been going through every resource I could find to really wrap my head around doubt, help you the most, but I've been, it's been very helpful for me as well. One of the, the resources I found that I thought was really, really powerful, there's this leadership guy that I follow. His name is Brian Kite. And he sends out a daily email that I subscribe to. And one of them showed up, and it had some stuff on doubt. And I know you're not supposed to stand in front of a group of people and read stuff to them, but I'm going to do that, okay? I'm going to break the rules because, well, I have the microphone, and it's my church, and we're going to do it. So here we go. <laughs> but he said this about doubt. He said, we all experience doubt. And I want you to listen to this carefully, okay? Don't tune out right now. This is not the moment to tune out. We all experience doubt. Doubt in ourselves, doubt in a plan, doubt in other people, doubt in what's possible, doubt in a change, doubt in anything or anyone. Can you all relate? Applying one simple standard will save you weeks of agony and years of regret. When I feel doubt, I go find out. He goes on to say, you can't think your way past doubt. You can't solve it by sitting still and playing out every conceivable scenario in your head. All you'll do is confuse and overwhelm yourself or reinforce the doubt, not with facts and reality, but with made-up stories. How many of you guys know we're really good storytellers? Made-up stories and uneasy feelings. You won't know if your doubt is legitimate until you put your best effort into the thing you doubt or at least get direct personal experience with it. By the way, God knows that. That's why he said, taste and see that I'm good. It's an invitation. you got to have an experience with it. He goes on to say, you need verifiable data beyond your emotionally tinted expectations because your feelings don't tell you the fair truth. Allow doubt to be the indicator that it's time for action. Make doubt a signal that it's time to get to work to determine whether that doubt is accurate or inaccurate. Not because you feel it, but because you verify whether the doubt is or isn't worthy of your trust. Then you're not wrestling with doubt. You're establishing a better understanding and making disciplined decisions. So don't let doubt, yours, or anyone else's lock you in the solitary confinement of your imagination. When you have doubt, go find out. And I think there's a lot of people here today, you're in the doubters club. You've got doubts about God. You've got doubts about church and Christians. And, and all of these things are reasonable that you have doubts. But I'm going to challenge you not to sit in your doubts. Because I'm sure there's plenty of you in this room today that would say, I never thought church was for me. I never thought Jesus was for me or that God was for me. And you come to find out it is for you. Jesus is for you. And God loves you unconditionally. But when we have these doubts, we wrestle with them and we writhe in agony and despair. And we miss out on the greatest thing that we could ever have in life, and that's a relationship with our creator. The Bible says eternity has been placed in the hearts of man. There is a longing within you to be connected with that which created you, something eternal. And so when you have doubts, go find out. 
So we're in this series talking about your doubts. That's what we're doing. And I'm challenging you, taste and see, to, to engage, take some steps. Don't, don't just eliminate God because of your doubts and your feelings. Find out. Taste and see if he is good. But here's the thing. I want to validate your doubts because I know that one of the reasons people doubt God's or Christianity isn't about specifically the way Jesus lived his life. Most people like Jesus, right? Good buddy Jesus. Hey, everybody likes that guy, right? They like the way he lived. They even like the way that he loved. The problem people have with Christianity and the reason they have doubts isn't because of the way he lived or loved. It's what he said. And it's what he claimed. Because see, it, look at our, our, our landscape today. What you watch on television or on TikTok or wherever you're getting your, your, the, the, the videos of today. And you'll see people that talk about spirituality or God. And nobody gets upset. Nobody gets upset about that. We, we have our football players. They get a touchdown. They take a knee. They point to God, blow a kiss, do a symbol, whatever. I'm not sure. Nobody gets upset about that when we talk about God. Celebrities get up there, and they win awards. I just want to thank God. I want to thank my family. Nobody gets mad about that, right? It's not until you get to a place where people say, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that things get tense. Most everybody likes Jesus. It's hard not to. Think about the way that he loved and embraced and spent time with the sinners of the day. When they think about how he humbled oppressive leaders during his time. Oh, Jesus is a poster child for that. Today, especially. He defended the poor and he defended widows. He restocked the wine barrels at the party. Hey. That's what he did. He turned a kid's lunch into an all-you-can-eat buffet. I'm for it. He healed people. He cast out demons. He raised people from the dead. Kids Loved him. They flocked to him. The Bible says the disciples were pulling him off of Jesus. You know what kind of guy you ought to be to have kids hang on you all the time? Like they were flocking to his flannel graphs and his puppet shows. You know what I'm saying? If you grew up in Sunday school, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> People liked that about Jesus. But what they didn't like was what they considered to be his exclusive and bold claims. You know, Jesus was a humble guy. He, he came to this earth. He humbled himself, born of a virgin. He came here, left glory, left majesty behind, was born here. And when he became, the, when he was known to be the Christ, the Messiah, he served his disciples. He washed their feet. He served us with his life by laying it down. Jesus was humble, but you know what he wasn't? Jesus was not modest. Jesus made bold claims about himself. I remember in the story when Lazarus died. It's one of his best friends. He didn't go, oh, well, that's life. No, Jesus responded and said, I am the resurrection and the life. He made a bold claim. Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath, which, by the way, the Sabbath was a day of rest, and the religious leaders of the day made it so hard. People weren't allowed to even, like, like cook a meal or do anything on that day. So to heal somebody, the, the pastors and the preachers of that day were really upset at Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. That made them mad. Jesus also made a statement that is still very controversial to this day. He said, if the way that you love me 
by comparison to the way that you love your family. If the way you love me isn't so much more so that it looks like because you love me this much that you hate them, he didn't want you to actually hate them. He said, but by comparison, if you don't love me way more than you love them, then you're not worthy of me. That's a bold claim. That upsets some people. And this is one of the reasons why people doubt Christianity. is isn't because of the way Jesus lived or loved. It's because of what he claimed. He claimed that he and the Father were one. This basically, he's standing in the face of these religious leaders saying, I'm God's son, therefore I am God. That was tough. And he not only claimed that he and the Father were one, he claimed that he was the only way to God. We see this play out in John 14. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's like, hey, guys, listen, I'm going to die, but don't worry. I'm going to raise from the dead, but I am going to leave you, and I'm going to go to this place. I'm going to prepare it for you. And Thomas being the guy that he is, we've already talked about Thomas's doubts, but he said, hey, Jesus, hey, where are you going? He said, uh, where is this place? Can, can you print out a map quest for me? Can you drop me a pen? Can you text me the Addy? Can you go ahead and turn your location on for us when you get there? Because we got to know the way to get where you're going. And Jesus made another bold claim. John 14, 6, Jesus answered Thomas' request and said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. People don't have anything to say about how Jesus lived or how he loved. They just don't like what he claimed. And I already know some of the pushback. I've talked to, I've been, in, I've been in this ministry for a decade now. And I've been sharing my faith for much longer. And I have conversations with people that go, you know what? Jesus can't be the only way to God. That just feels too exclusive to me, Pastor Aaron. That just feels too much. And I get it. I get that idea. I understand that God is really big and that God can do the impossible. He can do anything except violate his word, which would make him a liar, and he can't lie. And so since God has decided to do things this way, that's the way it's going to go. But I get it. That's really just the beginning of the arguments, right, against the, the, this only way idea. Other arguments are, well, this is just not fair, Aaron, that Jesus is the only way. It's not fair. Or people look at me and go, so you think you're, you're so right and everybody else is so wrong. Well, it's not that I feel like I'm right. I just feel like God's right and his word is true and that every other man be a liar. Some people say, well, it doesn't matter what you believe. It's about your heart. I mean, as long as you're sincere about it, right? People say, well, all paths lead to God and all religions are basically the same. And that sounds good, doesn't it? That sounds really reasonable. It sounds inclusive, which is important to us today. In every other area of our lives, we want to be inclusive, except for the fact that these statements are not true. They're just not true. What is true about most world religions is that when you look into them, you'll find some truth in them. You'll find some beauty in them. You'll even find wisdom in them. You'll, you'll find that. And, that. and that's okay. You'll find value in all of them in some way, shape, or form, but they are not all the same. So let me run through them really quick for you. And I realize that because I'm going quick, you may feel like I'm doing them a disservice. I'm inviting you to do your own homework, but I'm giving you just like the overview, okay, of some of the major world religions here so that you can see they're not the same. Buddhism. Buddhism is a major world religion, has no God, 
has no type of final existence. There's just these countless rebirths, and it's this endless cycle. You just keep dying and coming back, dying and coming back. And how you come back is really depend on your works, right? So you could be like a dung beetle. Well, anyway, you get it, okay, so... Hinduism does have a God, but it's an impersonal God, and you approach this God through deities and statues and idol worship, okay? But both Buddhism and Hinduism, neither of them provide forgiveness of sins, nor do they offer supernatural help. You have something called karma. So basically, this is a whatever seeds you plant, that's what you get. So if you're a terrible person, you'll have a terrible existence. If you're a good person, you have a good existence for the life cycle that you're on, right? Consider Islam. Islam is another major religion, and they worship Allah, which, by the way, is just their word for God. He's a personal God. There are no secondary gods, and there's a complete ban on idols, okay, or statues. Your standing with God depends on your religious devotion, so how many times you pray and you do all the religious things that they need to do, and your good works. That's, that's what determines your standing, New Age is something that is very popular. There's no personal God here. Basically, you're, you're striving to have this higher consciousness and become one with the universe or one with the cosmos. Compared to Christianity, Christianity has a personal God who loves unconditionally, who came to us. He didn't yell, I love you from afar. He stepped out of heaven and proved it to us. He became human. Jesus, he sacrificed himself for us, and all of that so that you and I could be forgiven and put into right relationship with God. So there's the different ones. So there's some truth, because truth is truth, right? No matter where it's found, if it's true, it's true. There's some wisdom, there's some beauty in most world religions, but they are not the same. So today what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite you that if you have doubts about God, or about Jesus, I'm going to invite you that if you doubt, go find out. And the way I'd like to do that today is take you on a journey to consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. I'm not asking you to consider our church. We might mess it up. I'm not asking you to consider the lives of Christians, because they most assuredly mess it up. In fact, there are some Christians that I wish they would stop calling themselves Christians because of the way that they behave. Most, there's a lot of Christians that are loving, don't get me wrong. But there's a whole lot of them that I'm just like, please stop representing us, God. Please stop representing us to a world that is hurting and needs to be loved. Please stop. I'd like them to wear the moniker of Bon Jovi. So we have Christians and we can have Bon Jovi because they give love a bad name. Hey, oh. I'm not asking you to consider Christians. I'm not asking you to consider Christian television with their bad makeup and bad hair choices. No, I'm not asking that. I'm not even asking you to consider me because I will let you down too. I'm asking you to consider Jesus. My goodness, the kids, God bless them. They are having fun today. Woo, that's good. And all the parents are like, let them run. Let them run. Let them get it all out. I see you. I see your kids after service just running up and down here. Listen, I had that too. My three kids are grown. I understand. Sunday afternoon naps are like a must. You know what I'm saying? Let them run. In Jesus' name, let them run. Woo. 
but please don't let them fall asleep in the car. Please don't let them fall asleep in the car. Because then you got to wake them up and it's done. I'm speaking truth today. Consider Jesus. And so I want to share three aspects of Jesus' life that I want you to consider, all right? I want you to consider, first of all, the ministry of Jesus. Consider the ministry. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about the impact of his work, the impact of his life, the difference that he made in people's lives, the outcomes of what Jesus' ministry did. Consider that. And and consider that versus the pastors and the religious leaders of of Jesus' day, the difference. Because those guys, they snubbed the people that Jesus loved and accepted and served. He, Jesus, Jesus spent time with and loved people with loose morals. Jesus spent time with people that had a past and that drank too much. They were poor. They were diseased. They had mental illnesses. Jesus spent time with them all. Those others that, that were despised, ignored, rejected, Jesus loved and accepted. In Mark 2, 16, you see the religious leaders, the pastors of the day. It says, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees, pause right there. Pharisees is basically saying their denomination, so you understand their theology by their grouping, right? So it's like saying Church of Christ, Pentecostal, non-denom, you know, of today, Southern Baptist, and all those things, right? So just identifying. It says, the, the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw Jesus eating with the sinners and tax collectors, which, by the way, it's always funny that there's the sinner category and then the lowest of low, the tax collectors, right? They ask his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, I love them, watch this, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. Now, by the way, Jesus wasn't just talking about the sinners and tax collectors, he was talking about the Pharisees too. They just didn't recognize their brokenness. Where the sinners and tax collectors did, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Could you imagine being within earshot of Jesus saying that? Hearing, oh, he came for me. Every single person that walks with Jesus today heard that message. He came for me. Jesus didn't just eat with them. He did miracles. He opened blinded eyes, healed deaf ears. One of my favorites was not only did he heal people that had leprosy, so it's a skin disease, and according to law at that time, they were untouchable. In fact, if you were a leper of the day, If you got within 10 feet of them, they had to yell, unclean, unclean, so that you didn't get close. The life of the leper was a sad one because the one thing that they lacked was community and touch. Could you imagine spending the rest of your days with a sickness that caused you to be absent of the embrace of someone who loved you? They couldn't touch you or they would be called unclean themselves. They might contract the disease. And Jesus shows up and heals this leper, but he doesn't just heal him. The Bible says he touched him, healing his heart and his being. This is who Jesus is. He cast out demons. When met with people who grieved, he did not just say, hey, don't, don't cry. The Bible says in John eleven thirty five, he wept with them who cried. And then he raised the dead. Critics didn't question the validity of his miracles. They just wanted Jesus to stop. They didn't want him to keep doing what he was doing. So consider the ministry of Jesus. Consider that the person sitting next to you has been impacted by the ministry of Jesus these thousands of years later. That what he did then still goes on today. Consider 
The person sitting next to you, consider my story. I am a result of the ministry of Jesus. I was a liar and a thief, a sexual deviant, addicted to pornography. I was angry. I was bitter. I was verbally abusive to my wife, to my kids. I would throw things and yell. I carried shame. And I hid my pain behind my accomplishments. I am a life that was changed. And God transformed my life, and he's still working on me. He's not done. He's still working on me. He never gave up on me. He healed my marriage, softened my heart. I'm forever changed by the ministry of Jesus, and many of you, you are too. So consider the ministry of Jesus, but also consider the resurrection of Jesus. This is the hard one for people to swallow. Because the guy was alive, he's dead, and then he was back to life. There's, there, that's not a story throughout the, the major religions. That, that's not a thing. That God would love us so much that he would send his only son to live a perfect sinless life, offer his perfect sinless life as a ransom, as a payment for all of humanity, that he would be beaten and die on a cross, live 33 years here on this earth, that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, Jesus said about the people who put him there, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Into your hands I commit my spirit. It's done. And with that, Jesus breathed his last, and he died. And the Bible says that the sky became black. There was an earthquake, and the Roman centurion that was standing nearby said, Surely this is the Son of God. They buried him in a tomb that was borrowed. And the religious leaders of the day went to the Romans who were oppressing their people at that time, and they said, Hey, we're afraid that his legacy and his legend is going to live on. We need you to put a big stone that no man can move on their own in front of the tomb, and we need you to set, set a garrison of soldiers around it. And they did. But on that third day, angels appeared, rolled that stone away, and Jesus came walking out of the grave to the, to the sight of stunned Roman centurions who ran. He came out of that tomb. And Peter, Peter is one of the disciples who saw him die and then saw him alive again. And he said this in Acts chapter 3, verse 15. He said, you killed the author of life. He's preaching a message that day. <laughs> y'all did it. You killed him. But God. How many of y'all know that when you see a but in scripture and God's on the other side of it, it's good day. You killed the author of life, but God. God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. They're witnesses. And not just the original disciples, the 11. We're talking about hundreds of people saw Jesus alive after he was dead. And they saw him multiple times. Thomas put his fingers in the holes in Jesus' hands and in his side. How do you argue with somebody who saw him? And not once. It wasn't a... Did I just see Jesus? Hey, Jesus, is that you? They saw him. They walked with him. They ate with him. They spent time with him for 40 days. 40 days. How do we argue with that? Of course, the, the religious leaders of the day, they told the story that, that the disciples took the body, and this is a story that continues on to this day. When you talk about the, the reality of Jesus' resurrection, you're like, no, no. He just stole the body. 
Okay, let's do this for a second. You mean to tell me that these 11 boys, because there was 12, one of them got so grieved over, over betraying Jesus that he took his life. So these original 11 who are grief-stricken, these guys overpowered Roman guards. These guys were the masterminds behind Jesus' resurrection story. That really, we expect any rational person to believe that these uneducated men, these guys are the ones, these average men devised the most elaborate and deceptive plan. They pulled it off, and they kept it a secret for all of their lives. And it continues to spread thousands of years later. That's what you mean to tell me? Is that, that they made it all up? Oh, and that, by the way, because of the story that they told everybody that Jesus was alive, it cost them severely. They were persecuted. They were run out of their homes. They lost everything in some cases, and some of them even lost their lives. You going to tell me that they made up this story, and they took it all the way to their grave at the threat of death and even experiencing it? There's no way. In fact, all of them were martyred. All of them, except John. They tried to kill John. They boiled him in oil. They couldn't kill him, so they, they exiled him to this island called Patmos where they put a bunch of other prisoners. All of them suffered extreme loss, and they did all this just for fun? No way. How many of y'all know what a whooping is? Oh, okay. When I was a kid, I got whoopings, all right? Now, not as much as my older brother, and definitely more than my younger brother. I don't think he got whoopings, but... But, but, yeah, he, he did. He did. My mom's sitting over here laughing. Yeah, he did. He got whoopings. Um, but when I was a kid, there was times stuff happened in the house. Stuff would get broken. And uh, this was before we could put cameras everywhere in the house and see who did what, you know. And mom and dad would line us up. And I always felt like they knew the answer, but they were playing some kind of cruel game. But then I became a parent, and I realized they didn't. But they would line us up, and they all right, who did it? There was only one of us that did it, but all three of us were on the hook. And, you know, you'd cover for somebody sometimes, right? But then the threat would be like, all right, well, if, I guess if nobody's going to own this, then I guess you're all three getting whoopings. Mm-mm, he did it. <laughs> At the threat of a whooping, I would sell out the lie. The disciples didn't face whoopings. They, they, didn't, they didn't face a belt. They faced a whip. They faced stoning. They faced crucifixion. Peter was crucified. He said, don't crucify me like my Lord. Flip me upside down. They put him on a cross and hung him upside down. They faced torture. One of them was disemboweled, Thomas. They faced real pain, real threat of life, not whoopings. I'd give up for a whooping. I'd give up a life for a whooping. That's how you know that these witnesses, they had an experience that they couldn't deny. They encountered arisen Jesus and it changed their lives forever and they could not recant they said you can take my life but you can't take what I know to be true they saw him alive they saw him dead and they saw him resurrected so consider the ministry of Jesus consider his resurrection there's too many too many eyewitnesses that history records to tell us otherwise and the last thing I'd like you to do is consider the message of Jesus Consider the message. Look, I get it. You want to test it and see if something's true. The Bible tells us to do that. 
In 1 John, he tells us to do that. He says, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits. Test, because there was a lot of false prophets. There's a lot of bad teachers in the world. He said, he said this in 1 John 4, 2. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That Jesus Christ has come. Now, oftentimes we talk about Jesus being born into this world. One of my favorite authors and pastors, his name is Tim Keller, who he passed away this week, sadly. But he, he taught that, that, hey, pay attention. Jesus wasn't just born. Jesus came. Huh. That means he was somewhere before he got here. He was enthroned in heaven in glory. And he came here born of a virgin. He came into this world. Every other religious founder was just a human being. Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, name them. They're all just human. But Jesus was fully God and became fully man too. It's a great mystery. You can talk to him about it when you get to heaven. <laughs> I don't know if I can explain it to you fully. Just what I know to be true. God's word became flesh and he dwelt among us. That's a big thing that distinguishes Christianity from everybody else. In the Eastern religions, in the Eastern part of the world, you overcome the world through stages of consciousness. In the West, they believe that through moral behavior, you escape the world and you go to heaven. Christianity, it's not the same. We try to make it about escaping the world, but it's not. Look at Scripture. It says, God so loved the, oh, the world. It's his creation and all that is in it. That includes us, thank God. But God so loved the world that he came to us to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. That's the beautiful thing. The salvation of God isn't just to escape this world, though, but to redeem the world. <laughs> I like this part. See, what God has been in the business of doing ever since the very beginning is redeeming and making things brand new. Redeeming means I'm going to buy it back. I'm going to take it in whatever state it is. I'm going to assign value and purpose to something that has become void of value and worthless to everyone else. And in our fallen state, all of creation groans for a day when God will redeem it. The Bible says that, yes, when we die, we go to heaven. But guess what? The story goes on. If you keep reading that book in Revelations, it talks about a new heaven and a new earth. That this earth will be made brand new, redeemed, transformed, and the new heaven will be brought down to earth. They will be joined. This is not about escaping the world. This is about being redeemed and transformed, and that is what Jesus offers us all. Redemption. Revelation 21.4, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. God doesn't deliver us from the world. He redeems it and makes it new. And that's what he does in our lives, too. So I'll just ask you today, what is it you believe? What do you know? Because I'm not here to try to convince you, to try to beg you to do anything. What I'm doing is I'm just presenting what you should consider. I feel, like, I feel like Jesus. The Bible describes him showing up at the door. I'm just knocking. Hey, if you've got doubts, open the door. 
Open the door. Taste and see. God's good. He's for you. He cares for you. But I'm just here to present what you should consider, and you can decide for you. But I urge you today, this is something that's important to figure out. What you really believe is important because someday you're going to die. And one thing or the other will happen. Do you know what? Whatever it is you believe about what will happen is, are you sure? Are you ready for it? Are you searching? If you're in doubt, are you willing to do the work to find out? Even if the afterlife isn't your thing. Maybe your thing is like, why am I here? A lot of people ask that question. What's the meaning of life? And what do you really believe about that? Well, some people respond that the answer to the meaning of life is about a pursuit of truth. All right. Well, how do you find truth? What's true? In this world today, we talk about truth as, as if it's subjective. Well, you can have your truth, and you can have your truth, and you can have your truth. Well, if everybody's truth is different, then it's not true, because it would be true across the board, right? Truth is truth no matter what. And if you choose whatever truth you, you choose, well, that truth often comes with rules and a belief system, right? And you know what I have to say about your rules? Which, by the way, is just religion. Your rules and your religion can't hug you. Your rules and your religion can't forgive you. They can't encourage you, can't love you. So it's probably not truth that is the meaning of life. Oh, well, then, Pastor Aaron, if it's not truth, then it's just love. Ah, oh, love. Love, 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 love. I'd love me some love. Love feels so good. And I'm on the mission to find love, especially that one who completes me. I'm looking for my one. You know that person that makes all those love songs on the radio make sense? I'm looking for that person to love me. Okay. You know what the problem is with the person that you're going to find? Is that they're a person? And whoever you find is going to be just like you. I love you, but you're imperfect, and so am I. And that means that they're going to love you imperfectly. They're going to lie. They're going to be selfish. They're going to be self-centered. They're going to let you down. That's what's just going to happen. So just as truth can't love you, those we love aren't always true because they're flawed. And when we experience these things, we find out, okay, well, truth can't love us, and those that love us aren't going to be true. When we get really cynical about love, and we abandon a pursuit of truth. Because we find that that's not actually the meaning of life, truth and love. Some of you are like, Aaron, this is a little too on the nose for me today. I'm a bit uncomfortable. I got you. See, Jesus claimed he was the only way to God. He claimed that he is the life. He claimed he's the life that you're looking for, the life that you are longing for. It's not perfect. Your life isn't going to be without flaws. The Bible doesn't promise that. But Jesus says, if you got me, I'm the life. He says, I'm the truth. Truth isn't an idea. It's not a principle. Truth is a person. And because truth is a person, Jesus is a truth that can love you. And because Jesus is without sin, and he's not flawed like you and I, 
Jesus will never let you down. That's why I have no problem telling you that what this life is all about, it's all about Jesus. In fact, I'll even say that Jesus is the name above all names. He is the name above all names. The Bible tells us that someday everybody's going to know that. It records a scene at the great white throne judgment where all of us will be there, all of humanity, for all time. And in that moment, we'll not see Jesus the carpenter, Jesus the guy who walked this earth. We will see Jesus, the Son of God, enthroned in glory, enshrined in heaven. You'll see him. And he's not going to force you to bow. You ever have one of those moments where you just experience something so powerful that it causes a somatic response that your body just can't help but bow? You crumble. The Bible says that at seeing him, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Not because of a threat, but because they'll see him. That Jesus is Lord. Every tongue will confess. And that's a strong and audacious claim. Jesus was either a liar, he was crazy, or he's what I believe him to be, and that is Lord. So consider Jesus today. I know some of you are here, you'd like to consider Jesus, but you don't think Jesus would consider you. But can I just help you as we close out this time? Romans 3.22, Paul wrote this to the church there. He said, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. It's just by trusting him. It's by saying, hey, Jesus, I'm not going to do this perfectly, but I'm going to follow you. I'm going to let your values be my values. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. You're going to be Lord. Be El Jefe, guy in charge. You're the boss. I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to trust you with everything. Notice it didn't say, go clean yourself up. Quit cussing, quit drinking. Stop talking that way. Stop doing that thing. Nah. Didn't say that. It said, make a decision to follow Jesus. Go where he takes you. Place your faith in him. He says this, watch, and I love this. He says, this is true for everyone who believes, and I like it, even though he said everyone, and everyone means everyone, he goes on to further qualify, no matter who we are. Well, some of you have got a label about who you've been. Some of you have got a label, and it's good news to know that no matter who we are, it doesn't matter what you've done, the secrets you've kept, the dark, how dark your life is, your background, it doesn't matter the mistakes you've made, the things that you've said, the people you've slept with, the drugs you've taken, the people you've hurt, and the doubts you have. Praise God. Jesus is for everyone. So consider Jesus today. And consider Jesus and Jesus alone. Because he is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. People say Christianity is just too exclusive. It's not. It allows the weakest the most broken, and the worst people to come. Send us. Send them all. I read this this week, and I, I know I've, I've read through my Bible many, many, many times for many years. 
But I read this this week, and it's almost like I saw it for the first time. This is what God, God has been doing from the beginning and what he finished through his son Jesus. And I just love this, and I think it buttons up this message really well. But this is on the heels of King David. It was said, a woman came to him and spoke to him and reprimanded him because his son Absalom had made a mistake. And his dad, David, had banished him. He'd been banished from his father's presence, living in close proximity but could never get close to him. He'd been banished for years. And this woman came to represent or to reprimand David respectfully. And she said, it's not what God desires, keeping your son Absalom in banishment. She said, rather, talking about God, he devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. This is who our God is. And the way he made for each and every single one of us to be close to him, to know him, is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, today I pray that you would do your work in our hearts and our lives. And those that are here today that have doubts, doubts about Christianity, specifically about what Jesus claimed, Lord, I pray today that you would cause us to step into action. That when we are in doubt, to find out, to just explore. It's an invitation to taste and see. Father, I pray that you would embolden us. There are some of us that have baggage that we bring to this conversation, to this relationship. Lord, I pray that you would help us with that. Help us to forgive. Help us to let go. Help us to have a renewed mind and a renewed understanding. Help us to know you. I pray for every, every person that is on this spiritual journey. But they have doubts and that they're still seeking, they're still pursuing. I pray that you would bless them in that journey. I pray that you would reveal yourself to them as real. Reveal your love for them. In very real and beautiful ways, Jesus. As we stay in this attitude, in this moment of prayer, we're going to celebrate here. We're going to have hot dogs and cupcakes. We're going to have it all in just a moment. But this moment is for somebody who needs to make a decision today. Somebody in the decision you're making is not to be a member of this church or to be my friend. What you're doing is you're making a, a commitment to, to follow Jesus. This is your moment to say, I've got my doubts, but I'm willing to find out. And if you're saying, Aaron, today I'm going to take that step. Well, today as we celebrate 10 years of God's faithfulness, a decade of it, I'm going to make that decision. I'm going to say yes to Jesus. Then I'm going to pray a prayer with you in just a moment. If you want to be included on that prayer, nobody looking around right now. I'm not going to call you out or have you come up front. But if that's you today, would you just slip your hand up right now and say, Aaron, that's me. I'm saying yes to Jesus today. Yeah, that's awesome. Man, there's hands all over this place. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Everybody prays together. Nobody prays by themselves. Everybody out loud say, Jesus, I need you. Today I put my faith in you. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. Reveal yourself to me. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to follow you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Can we celebrate with those that said yes to Jesus today? Come on.
Come on, let them know. That's the best decision you could ever make. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. We hope it has given you hope and helped you know God a little bit more. The goal of this podcast is to reach beyond our walls and connect with people far from God. If you'd like to join us in doing that, there are several ways for you to get involved. First, you can pray for us as a church. Prayer is our first response and our greatest resource. Pray for opportunities that we can boldly step into, make a difference in our community and around the world as we proclaim the good news of Jesus. Second, share this episode on your social media accounts and directly with your friends. It's easy to do through whatever platform you're currently using to listen to this message. Just click share and follow the prompts. Finally, you can support the mission through your generosity. The best part about this is that it's also an act of worship where you express the priority of your love for God and others through your finances. Links to give are in the show notes or simply visit www.mysimple.church giving. We are so thankful you joined us today. Hope you'll consider joining the mission of our church in some way. Thank you again, and we'll see you at next week's episode.